This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And yes, this is the Deep Dive, and I'm Brooke Spector. And this morning's guest, we're really pleased to have him, is Greg Homan, who is the newly ensconced, well, not quite new at this point. He's been there for a couple of months. Not quite 100 days yet, Brooks. <laughs> okay. Two and a half months and, and counting, artistic director uh, of the Market Theatre Foundation, um, and that covers a whole lot of ground. He's got an impressive resume in theatre internationally as well as domestically. He has a master's in text and performance studies from King's College in London, and the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in Britain, of course, and a bachelor's and honors in dramatic art from Vitz down the road. Uh, and he's been, he's been involved in theater in South Africa for more than a decade as a director, a dramaturge, and maybe Greg can explain what that is after I, after I introduce him, because it's one of those words I always wonder just exactly what a dramaturge does and a playwright. And he's, gathered awards for imaginative theater in all kinds of different forms. He's had premieres of work, including six new South African plays, and he likes to describe himself. His playful and cheeky takes on world classics are a key feature of his portfolio. But let me start off by saying, Greg, welcome. And the obvious question is, why in the world did you want this job? Given there are so many other challenges for the time, the money, and the eyes and ears of people, uh, whether it's electronic gaming or video or online streaming or television and even cinema, and since the theater is only being moving into the recovery period from that horrible hiatus during COVID, why did you want to take this job? What got you into this direction? Good morning, Brooks. It's lovely to be with you, and um, it's good to be with your get with your your listeners as well. The short answer, which I'll give first, and then I'll give you a slightly longer answer. But the, the short answer is because, quite frankly, this is my dream job. Um, it brings everything I've been doing for the last twenty years as a theatre maker, as a playwright, as a director, as an educator, an academic, and a dramaturg, all under one roof. And my relationship to the market goes back to, as a director, it goes back to 2006, but as an audience member long before that. And as an academic, it's something that, this is now the long answer, by the way. As an academic, it's been a space that I have researched and studied and really grown uh, to love and admire because of its wonderful legacy and incredible history. So to answer your question in in, in more detail, I mean, the, the job is is exciting to me. It's a huge challenge. I think the country uh, is in desperate need of some guidance and leadership around particularly, you know, how theatre is done. And I think I've got something to contribute to that conversation. So I was very honoured to be offered the job. As you know, although your listeners might not, I've been living in the UK for the last four years. And it's the one thing that I would absolutely come back to to take up. And I'm very pleased to be back um, to be taking on this job. And I must say, it's been a very warm welcome. We're working very hard. I've got a great team around us at the Market Theatre and the Market Theatre Fund. 
Foundation. And um, later today, we're going to be announcing a full program of events for the rest of the year, including stuff for artists as well as things that audiences can, can look forward to. So all in all, it's it's really my dream job, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be back. And I don't see the COVID situation I mean, obviously, that has created a huge challenge over the last few years. But so far this year, there seems to be an energy in Johannesburg, at least, and a real appetite to want to get back to the spaces that we have loved and missed. And I think theater is absolutely one of them. So, so far, if this year is anything to go by, people are coming to the theater and are wanting to be here. Well, the market theater got its, it earned its spurs, if you will, by being the People used to call it the home of protest theater, the home of liberation, anti-apartheid theater. Uh, but that era is now in the rearview mirror for us. I mean, that's been that's been two decades or more. I once had a conversation with a, a major author in this country, and she recounted to me um, that she'd been asked by various younger writers, "Now that apartheid is over." What do we have left to write about? And her answer mm. to them, of course, was everything else. There's a whole world of things. And so that leads me, obviously, to the question of what kind of stories do you want to see on your stages? And there are a lot of stages now. You've got three stages at the theater itself, and you have a, you have a stage across the, the street in the so-called office building, this and you have venues at uh, the Windy Brow Center as well to fill. Uh, you have roughly, what, you've got a half a dozen different spaces to put things on for audiences of one type or another. What kind of stories do you want to have in those spaces? Yeah, so, I mean, I think the country's history looms large over the market. Um, and obviously it's made its name through the period, particularly of the 80s and through its protest play legacy. But um, in three years' time, the market turns 50. And so I, I feel like part of my job at the moment is to, to tee up what the market theater can look like for the next 50 years. And, of course, that means building on the legacy and taking the best of that legacy forward, but also kind of trying to understand what do audiences want now how can the market contribute to to what audiences want now? And I suppose a big part of that is what do artists feel they want to say? Because if we're going to have you know groundbreaking, exciting, stimulating, thought-provoking, entertaining work here at the market, then we need artists to really be interrogating where we live, how we live, um, the challenges of our current state. And as we know, there are many, many challenges in our current state, not only through the politics of South Africa, but because of the state of international politics, of the war in Ukraine, um, the, 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 the aftermath of COVID and how that's financially knocked the world. So there's lots of social issues, but there's also, I think, a very deep need for theater to speak to the human experience of relationships. And I would love to see, and I'm already starting to program in this direction, more stories that are about family, love, friendship, 
and the things that really kind of bind us in, and of course the social impact is part of that. And it's always, you know, good theater always has this relationship between three levels of conflict, an internal conflict that a character's fighting, their relationship conflict that is interpersonal, and this, the environmental or social political conflict. And if those three levels are working really well, you've got the ingredients for really brilliant and dynamic theater. And so I suppose the legacy of the market has been largely focused on that environmental conflict and that sort of socio-political conflict. But I think there's a deep need for us to look at the internal conflicts that people have and the relationship conflicts as well um, and to really maybe rebalance likely the focus. So those are all of the kinds of things that I'm thinking about. And I want the market theater and the everything that the Market Theatre Foundation has to offer to be a place that is a destination beyond just coming to a show. I think we need to to, to, to create an experience around coming to the market. The, the history of the building is part of that experience, but what we can offer in terms of galleries, um, possibly a return of the flea market that was once very much part of the market's um, life, its relationship to kippies, which we're in late Day, if you want a little, a little sneak preview, is that we're going to be announcing um, Kippies as a fringe venue, um, so that, that artists can uh, present work, um, whether that's spoken word or poetry or music or stand-up comedy or experimental plays or, or just work to test. So I really want to try and create a cultural precinct around the market. It's already partly here, but I think it needs a little bit of vision and drive to really formulate that. And and I think the the experience of coming to the market um, can be really invigorated by what it means to return to Newtown, which, as we know, if not not so long ago, was the cultural center and hub of, of our city. So I, I want to kind of see if we can re-embrace that, um, that title um, here at the market. We're speaking with Greg Holman. Greg is the, is the well, not quite 100 days veteran now of the uh, – Market Theatre as the artistic director after a career in Britain and the, and in South Africa. And, um, I'm going to take a quick break in, in a sec, but I want you to think about a question. Well, two of them really. Uh, one, if I'm sure you've thought about it a lot, uh, HIV and AIDS had an enormously impactful presence on theatre, uh, in the U.S., in Britain, in Europe, and the world generally. I don't see this yet from our recent travails with COVID, but perhaps you can tell me how that might evolve. But the bigger question, and I, I, I want you to think about, and then when we come back, we can talk about it some more. Does live theater even matter for audiences anymore? Don't answer these yet. Be right back. We're speaking with Greg Holman, the artistic director at the Market Theater, and we're going to take a break for just a minute. This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And this is the Deep Dive, and I'm Brooke Spector, and my guest this morning is Greg Holman, the artistic director at the Market Theater. And just before we went to the break, I posed two questions to him. And now that he's had a minute to think about them, one was the, the comparison between the way HIV and AIDS affected and influenced theater and the arts in, during the height of its epidemic status. And the bigger question still, does live theater still matter to people? I mean, do people really want to come to theater anymore 
or would they rather stay home and play um, with a live action style video game on their their super sized television screen? Sure. I mean, well, so in terms of the first one, I mean, I suppose it's a complicated thing because, you know, the HIV AIDS um, sort of impact, particularly on theater, generated a large amount of theater across the world, particularly because of HIV's relationship to the LGBT plus community and particularly the gay the gay men. You know, I'm a gay man, so I'm speaking kind of from those terms. It, 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 you know, there was a huge amount of theater that was HIV related that also spoke to the complexity of how HIV and AIDS was married to, at least in the public sort of media, um, to the, be, being a gay man. And and so, yes, it did create um, a lot of theatre, and it was because of the injustice of that connection that was made between HIV and AIDS and the gay community. I think COVID is very different because I think COVID has been a, a global experience um, it certainly doesn't have the same level of kind of relationship to a, a, a small sector of the community. Obviously, people have lost many people, and particularly the aged and the more vulnerable in our communities were the most affected. But because there was such a, a, a global response to it, and because we took such drastic measures by literally shutting our lives down in order to protect each other, I think it's quite hard to make... I mean, I, I have no doubt that there will be some theatre that will be made around that. But it also feels like that moment is is kind of over. I know it's not over for everyone, and I know that we continue to need to be cautious. That moment is kind of past. Whereas the HIV AIDS moment, it wasn't a moment. It was a wave that lasted 20, 30 years and, and, and came in different ways at different communities and different countries and different responses. And for theater and South Africa, uh, the HIV AIDS work was very prominent actually only in the nineties through the, through corporate theater and um, industrial theater, um, that was really about educating workforces around ways of, of managing, um, you know, not contracting HIV and AIDS and so on. Of course, there were works from abroad in terms of, of, of the UK and, and USA and, and, and many other places as well. Um, but, 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 but I, th- I think the, my point really is that I think HIV AIDS was it was a 20, 30 year event to use that, 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 that phrasing. Whereas I think COVID has been an isolated moment that has lasted for, for two or three years. Um, I also think that at the moment, People don't want necessarily to return to imagining or engaging with what it was to live with COVID and to be in that lockdown. Although, quite honestly, I wrote a play during that time that uh, is set in a pandemic and it's about loss and it's about grief and it's about a family that are trapped, family that's not very happy at the start of their, their, you know, the the pandemic and are, are now kind of trapped with each other in a space. Um, I've been very tempted to kind of work out when to program that. And I, I've been really thinking about, is that a play that has an, has an audience now or not? So, I, I mean, so that's my sort of long response to that. I'm not so sure a, uh, COVID will produce the same legacy of plays that kind of came out of the HIV AIDS moment, I suppose is what I'm saying. But time will tell. In terms of your second question... When you were saying what you had just said about COVID, it struck me that there are two items of literature, well, three, perhaps four, that really speak to plagues and such that have, that have lived on and almost cry out for a dramatic version. 
Mask of the Red Death, perhaps, or Decameron, somebody to do a contemporary relook at those things. I had a lot of work in that, but uh, anyway, put that in the back of your mind, think about it. Uh, but go ahead and, and go with our second question to you, which I think is, is even more important. I can't speak to what people on a kind of, you know, sort of collective consciousness are thinking, but... I can say this is that theater can offer something very different to obviously what we experienced in terms of sitting in our houses. And if we have the luxury of Netflix or a comfortable couch, um, having enjoyed watching performances of different kinds and films and other things, and sometimes even theater that was broadcast, um, you know, to our houses, um, to, to what it means to sit in a space. And I think that this is the thing that the people that are returning to the theater in droves at the moment, and, and I do feel like it's it's droves in comparison to what it was pre the pandemic, are, are really interested in sharing a space with strangers in communion with them. And I, and I mean communion in the sense that community comes from th- watching theater collectively. And it's a rare event because unlike sitting and watching a performance work of some kind in your own home, one, you have the power of pushing pause. Two, um, you must probably with family members or f- close friends. And this is probably not more than at most four or five or six of you in the room at the time. Um, whereas sitting in the theater is one, something we weren't allowed to do. Two, it brings strangers together and it allows a conversation to continue beyond just having experienced the work. And that, and by that I mean over a drink in interval or, or post the performance. And so I can't say whether people want to come to the theater. Well, I mean, theater is not going to compete with, with what TV can offer or Netflix can offer or what going to the cinema offers or what sitting at home playing PlayStation offers because they're very different activities. I think theater offers a unique activity and a unique experience. And I've got a sense from the wonderful audiences we've had at the start of this year, particularly in January, that theater offers something that people want at the moment because they lost it. They lost it for three years. Interesting. I mean, I, when I, I talked to a, a, a musician once, a conductor, and uh, he gave me a story, uh, actually a composer as well, and he, he said, people talk about the theory of the theater or the theory of opera, and he said that there's a, there's a famous story about the composer Giuseppe Verdi, who was being interviewed by a newspaper in Italy, and he said, Maestro Verdi, what is the, what is your theory of opera? And Verdi looked at him and said, the seats, they should be filled. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's it is that, is that it's about sitting in my view, well, not in my view, but in my experience with often strangers and experiencing something collectively. And that is unique to that one performance. Of course, the performance repeats in slightly different way and in a slightly different energy and a slightly different atmosphere and with a, with a completely different audience in front of it. So, so that, that's the joy of, of, of live performance. And I mean, I could go into the science, um, which I've, you know, as in my life as an academic has, 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 it fascinated me some of the science of how we receive storytelling and, and how our brains and even our heartbeats at times start to connect and we start to, to, you know, the, the, the 
there's a, sh- a shared chemical kind of experience that starts to happen in watching a story collectively. And, and, and I think those kinds of things that we don't even fully understand, uh, we feel them. And, 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 and I think those are some of the things that we lost. And, and all I can hope is that people recognize the value of that experience, um, particularly when, when theater is, is good and stimulating and entertaining and engaging. Let me turn to your own personal trajectory. I wanted to say history, but that's not quite right. I think trajectory really uh, covers it better. At some point in your life early on, you saw something in a theater that so engaged you that you said, that is what I want to do with my life. I want to be part of that process. Tell us a little bit about what that was and how you got there. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have kind of reflected on this over the years and, and I suppose through, through questions along these lines, I've kind of developed a narrative around it. And I don't know if that narrative is, is a true reflection, but, but, but what I can say this is this, is that you're right. Somewhere in my childhood, my mom and my grandmother used to take me to theaters and theater. And I mean, I have allocated, I have kind of identified it as, as a moment in my narrative, but I, I, in reality, I don't think that was probably the truth of it. But this moment of, of sitting in a theater and experiencing the magic that theater offers. And I can give you one example in particular, and I can still see it. So, um, I used to, as a, every year, um, go with my mom and my grandmother to the Alexander Theatre where Janice Honeyman used to do her pantomimes. And, um, I can still very clearly remember a production where, um, a, a actress dressed as a boy playing the ingenue, because that was the convention at the time in the panto, dressed all in white, sang somewhere out there on the stage of the Alexander Theatre. She was downstage left. And she was all in white and the lights were just absolute magic. And it did something to me and it moved me. And I suppose that moment sticks with me. There are other moments. Um, there's moments in, in primary school where my very passionate uh, school teacher uh, used to put on productions. She once did a production of Peter Pan that I remember. She also did a production of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I never had lead roles in any of that, but I always had ideas as to what I would do and what I would do differently if I had control over the creative choices. Um, I remember once trying to buy um, a, a, a prop that was made as part of the production of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and I, I saved up my tuck money and bought this prop because I wanted to recreate the production but fix in my mind or change some of the choices that I thought would make the production better. So, so somewhere in me, there's this, there's, there's this, the sense of, of, of magic that theatre offers, but also, I suppose, the, the, the imagination that gets stimulated by by telling stories and going to a different place to the one that perhaps I was in as a child, which wasn't an unhappy place, but my family did have a kind of, you know, my, my parents separated when I was, when I was around six and, and I had a lot older brothers. So I think my imagination ran away with me in the sense that it gave me an opportunity to escape to different places. We're speaking with Ray Homer, who's the artistic director at the Market Theatre, and we're not talking about any one particular play, but we're trying to get a sense of what he is going to bring to this landscape uh, as he uh, gets further and further into his, and deeper and more engaged still into his role as artistic director. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more 
conversation with Greg Coleman. This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And this is indeed the Deep Dive, and I'm Brooke Spector, and we're back again uh, for uh, the continuation of our conversation with Greg Holman, who is the artistic director at the Market Theater. I, I want to I ask you, Greg, to step back just a little bit from the Market Theater itself um, and take a swing at the question of whether or not in this day and age, um, in, at this time of, of difficult budgets and uh, difficult household budgets for that matter, uh, is Johannesburg now over capacity with theater. Uh, there's the theater on the square. There's the various venues at Monte Casino. The Joburg Theater has various stages as well as the Rudaport and Soweto theaters under its belt. And then there's the market theater and there are a variety of other smaller efforts and enterprises here and there. Is there, is there too much possibility mm-hmm. theater for people that it, it is going to make it very difficult for everyone to hold audiences and, quite frankly, gain revenue. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question, Brooks. Um, you know, two things come to mind when you ask that. One, Joburg used to have more theatres. So it used to have the Alexander Theatre, it used to have the Alhambra Theatre, it used to have the Theatre on louis Boerter Avenue, which a name escapes me for a moment. Um, uh, it used to have the, the, the Heelbrow Theatre, um, and I can go on. I mean, th- th- there used to be a number of other theatres, a lot of them in the city centre or in, on the edge of Bromfontein and, and surrounds. Um, so I, I think I think if we look back historically, there's probably less theatres available now than, than there were. Um, and the population of Johannesburg was one smaller and two very certainly uh, pre-1994 was obviously much more isolated in terms of a, a, a middle class because essentially the theater going audience was, was, was largely white, although the one exception, um, it was the market theater because of, you know, it, it's, it's policy of, of non-racialism. So, so that's the one thing. The other thing is I think that the identities of these different theaters that currently exist, um, I think cater to very different needs. Uh, you know, Monte Cassino, the Teatro has a very, very different kind of work that, um, the market theater, you know, some of that work would sit strangely at the market theater. Um, the, the same, I suppose, you know, the, I mean, the, the theater on the square and, and I are currently, it's Daphne Kuhn at the theater on the square and I are, are currently discussing, um, an arrangement where we're trying to find the uh, one project a year that we can, sort of co-produce so we can produce the the, the costs of uh, together and that we can then uh, find an audience at the theater on the square and at the market theater because I think we recognize that with the right play actually those two theaters have two quite different audiences potentially not entirely but there is some overlap but but, but largely different so I, I think I think each theater is trying to and has over the years, catered to very different parts of our very eclectic and diverse and often contradictory demographic across, across, and I mean contradictory in the sense that, you know, we live in very different ways across our city, as you know. So I, I think, I think that's one of the things that we're honing in on is what does the market do that's different to other theaters? Who is our audience uh, for a particular work and for the, the program we do across 
the year. And, and we're really trying to target um, getting that audience to come and buy seats. Um, will that audience be the same audience that will go to the Joburg Theatre? Possibly. It's probably a reasonable overlap. Will it be the same order for the Theatre on the Square? Perhaps less so. If we go as far as the Teatro, it was probably not the same audience. Um, I'm sure there's some overlap, but it was probably 5%. You know, so... I, I I don't know, and time will tell. I know our economy is tough, but in tough times, theatre often thrives because it gives people life and it gives people enjoyment and it gives people a sense of, of, of living. So I don't know where the people will be prepared to spend their... In tough times, though, we know that theatre actually thrives um, because people want to escape and they want to um, experience living in a way that um, perhaps uh, the, the, they, they're struggling to do in other areas. So I'm not sure whether we have enough um, audience uh, disposable income who are prepared to come to the theatre. Time will tell. But I think that if we make compelling work that is so irresistible, we'll be here and they will gain uh, more than the cost of the ticket because of being. Let's, let's throw away the balance sheets and the budgets and the spreadsheets and the, you know, the, 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 uh, the morning after calculations of how many chairs were filled versus how much revenue was made. And it's Greg Holman. He's sitting there and saying, in my dreams, I would like to put on the following works, classic or new, uh, experimental or terrifying without restraints of budget or other circumstances, what would you put on the boards? As you mentioned earlier, we have multiple venues across our space um, and across the theatre, and so each of those theatres would need a different answer. Um, in the John Carney Theatre, which seats 440, uh, one of the things that I really would like to do in the five years that I'm in this job, possibly longer, but but certainly for five years, um, is is to develop and stage a new South African musical that is able to enjoy the success of something like Serafina did in the 80s. And I'm not saying I'm trying to recreate or want to recreate Serafina. That time has gone and come and gone. But something that has the success level of Serafina. Um, and I, I think there's a, a deep and quite desperate need not only by audiences, but particularly by artists to want to deliver that. I've had many meetings in the last two months with lots of particularly young theater makers and composers and musicians and, and writers who are working on a great musical. So I'm doing what I can to support that endeavor. And I'm hoping, because musicals take time, but I'm hoping that in the next two or three years, that we will be able to deliver that on the John Carney stage. Um, in terms of the other spaces, f for me, the heart and soul of the market theatre has been the development of new South African work. And so I would like to to really nurture playwrights and theatre makers who are working in workshop um, to, to deliver brilliant new South African work that speaks to the experience of of living in South Africa today, and um, that becomes the next wave of of South African plays that become known across the world. Um, so, so, so that's the kind of work that you know I'm, I'm interested in. Alongside that, though, we have a very diverse and eclectic city and and province. 
um, to, to cater to. So I'm interested in comedy as much as I am interested in drama, as much as I'm interested in programming live music and jazz and dance. Um, so I, I, I would hope that, well, I, I can tell you, people can expect a quite diverse programming across any given year at the market. Hopefully it will connect in terms of theme um, and in terms of, of, of a, a kind of cultural sensibility, perhaps. But I hope that it will speak to, 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 to people in, in different ways and, and across our city um, in quite a diverse way. And, and that it, because we have 11 official languages, that we really tap into what it means to present work in multiple languages. And we really try and make work accessible beyond the language that is being spoken on the stage. I think that's really important. And I think it's a wonderful challenge to, to try and strive towards that goal. I'm, I'm hoping you're, you're out there chasing down some benefactor who is going to give you the cert title or the, the, uh, the subtitle uh, financing so that we, if you do something in multiple languages, all of us can understand and appreciate what's on stage at that, at that moment. That's a, that's a challenge. And- it is, it is. And that technology exists. It's being used in other parts of the world. Um, I'm hoping that that benefactor you're talking about is listening to us right now and he's going to reach out to me, um, via the market theater and, and offer their, their support to make it happen. <laughs> well, you, can call, you can call after 10 o'clock. Greg will be standing by the phone. <laughs> yes, you will. Yes, you will. Um, I mean, I, I, one of the things that, that happened to me over time was I, I was able to understand and appreciate Operatic works a whole lot better when I could, I could see at the time the people were singing what it was they were singing about. It's one thing to read the script of the libretto. It's another thing to see the words right in front of you. But let me just add as a, as a counter to all that. I, I did a trip overseas, uh, at, to a theater festival and some of the work was so transcendently clear that I found I stopped looking at the surtitles and just watched what was going on to gain an understanding of the activity. And that so much of it depended on the way in which the performers delivered the work itself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we, we have a wonderful tradition in this country of nonverbal theater and physical theater, as it's popularly become known as. And uh, that work, um, you know, not that we would only do that kind of work, but, but that work, you know, trans you know, transgress, I mean, you know, exceeds the, the sort of boundaries of, uh, or supersedes the boundaries of, of, of language, um, and becomes accessible to anyone. You know, I had a meeting just yesterday, just out of interest, had a, had a meeting just yesterday with a young musical theater composer and writer who is developing a project that is signed, um, throughout. And it's essentially a, a new musical with a, f- Strong focus on making it accessible to, to, um, you know, to, to the deaf community. And, um, I think those initiatives are important and invaluable. And, um, we, we need to, we, we really need to work to, to, you know, um, make work for everyone, um, across our, across our very diverse space and land. Yeah. No, I just as a, as, as a, as an aside, uh, 25 years ago or so, I, I worked with the uh, the American National Theater of the Deaf, and they did a production of play, the movie, the short story, uh, Rashomon. Uh, it was called In a Groove, and the actors on stage 
did all the work and it was mostly either signed or physical theater and there was a very minimal narration that enthralled audiences globally as I, as I remember it because of the way in which the actors could deliver their, their, their visuals. And uh, there, there's, there's room for that for us. Great. We're going to a break and we'll be right back and we'll finish up. We're speaking with Greg Holman, the artistic director at the Market Theater, and we'll be back after this station break and message from sponsors. This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And this is the Deep Dive. This is Brooke Spector. And we're speaking with, we've been speaking with Greg Holman, the artistic director at the Market Theater. And we're, we're, we're butting up against our time. But I, Greg, I want to, I, I want to give you a, a, a final opportunity, um, to speak to the, the larger question of what constraints, what limitations do you find you are having to confront in bringing all these visions to reality. Sure. All right. Well, in no particular order, <laughs> the first is obviously financial resources to make the work that we want possible. And we do have a wonderful and ro- significant grant from um, the, the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture, but it, it, it doesn't allow us to program three venues, um, certainly uh, all at the same time, which is obviously the goal. Um, and so we, we're creating a lot of partnerships to, to, to make that money go as far as possible. And we, we have really established a long-standing relationships with, with funders and grant holders all across the world and the country. Although times are tough and the, the war in Ukraine is not helping our cause in terms of, um, you know, and, and, uh, the relationship to, to European funding, European-based funding and so on. So, so, so money, money is always a key obstacle. The other thing that I need to say, because, you know, I'm aware that this is an issue, and it's perhaps a particularly an issue for the, the people uh, listening to, to this interview this morning. And that is that we're in Newtown. I've had, I can't, I can't count, maybe 50 or 100 people say to me, how are you going to get people across the Nelson Mandela Bridge? This, this great psychological divide that splits our city, um, and, and, and limits people from, from crossing over to the, 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 the Newtown precinct to come to the market theater. And, and all I can say to them is that, you know, I think coming to the market is a safer exercise than many people feel it is. We have very safe parking and so on, but we're also working all the time with security and the mall to, to make sure that people feel safe because I, I do think it is safe. But I, I, the important thing is that people feel safe. And that's not only the audience, but our artists must feel safe too. Um, so we're working on lighting. I'm looking at other ways of entering the building. We've got a, a great, what I'm calling contemporary entrance to the market theater, which is very rarely used and is actually very close to the mall. And so I would never give up on the, the historical entrance that people know and love of the market theater. But there is a way into the building that is different. And I'm looking at that and and so on. Um, and then the other thing is, is, is really about good theater takes time to, to make. And so I'm later today announcing a very substantial, I think, program that is about developing the work of artists and developing new plays. Um, and new work because we have to invest in new work if we're going to, to deliver the best quality stories 
um, that South African artists can tell. And so, so I'm, I'm investing in that and that takes time and we, but we've got the time and we've got the resources. So, and we've got the expertise and the skills. So later today, I will announce a call out to playwrights and writers who've never written for the stage, um, and, and a number of other, um, sort of pronged approach to, to a play development program that I hope, um, artists will embrace and that will, um, allow us the time to really nurture and develop the skills and the stories that uh, we can tell on our stage. We've been speaking with Greg Holman, the artistic director at the Market Theater, and you'll remember he's issued two calls to people, one for some generous benefactor to underwrite surtitles and, and subtitles equipment, and the other to new playwrights, new writers, uh, to get to get in touch with him with, with good ideas that would turn into superlative uh, theater. Uh, and with that, Greg, let me thank you very much for taking time out of what has obviously been a busy day for you already. And then we will, um, we will look forward, uh, my wife and I to coming to see much of this new work in the year 2023. And I hope audience members will join us. Uh, this is Brooke Spector with the deep dive and we'll be back next week with another interesting and informative guest that speaks to our world and the possibilities thereof.